Welcome to Mile High Magazine. Mile High Magazine takes a look at the issues and people shaping events in Colorado. Presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. Here's your host, Murphy Houston. And welcome in. It's another edition of Mile High Magazine, and I'm Murphy Houston. Hope you're having a great day. And today we're joined by Jordana Ash, Early Childhood Mental Health Director for the Colorado Department of Human Services Office of Early Childhood. That's quite a title there, Jordana. I mean, you just all of that is you. That's all me. <laughs> well, welcome to Mile High Magazine. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here this morning. Well, we try to get the word out on important things that are happening in the state of Colorado, and what you're doing is obviously very important. And we know that uh, uh, Children's Mental Health Awareness Day is May 10th, so we're in the month of May, so we thought we'd address that topic. So let's talk about what is early childhood mental health. That's a great place to start. We get asked that question a lot. And people can think about early childhood mental health as social emotional health and development. And it really starts right away, right at birth, when kids begin to form the attachment with their parents and they begin to form trusting relationships with in special and important people. So that sets the stage for them to be able to go on and form other attachments with peers and other adults. So it starts like at birth. It actually starts before birth, we think now, but we can talk about it at birth and we can talk about the developing child's ability to understand and manage their emotions. That's a really big part of early childhood mental health. That puts a lot of pressure on the parents <laughs> right, you know, from, right, they, from the, right from the get-go. They have a very important <laughs> job, but you know we're ready for it. And when kids have those secure attachments with parents, they are able to explore the world and be curious and learn and set the stage for success really in school and life. I would think, and I'm just going off the top of my head from what you just said, it really builds an immediate confidence factor with their surroundings. If they feel comfortable with their parents, they're going to probably feel comfortable with a lot of things. Absolutely. And it's the parents being tuned in to what the baby's telling us even before they have words. Well, important stuff to know. Holy cow. Absolutely. Never, never heard that for, before. So why is it so important to know about your young child's mental health? Yes, you know, most people or many people, when they hear mental health, they actually think mental illness. I was almost the same thing just a minute ago. I'm thinking, wow, is that an issue? No, it's not kind of related to, well, kind of related to, but not totally. It's related, but it's not babies on couches having therapy. Right. We really want to emphasize the health part of that phrase. So mental health really means mental well-being. The child's health and well-being and resiliency and their ability really to have a good life, to really set the stage for having a positive life and positive relationships. But if you're a, a young parent with a baby and you're working, you're not thinking about the mental health thing, you're just being who you are. How do you know if you're succeeding at that age? You know, babies tell us a lot. Very young children tell us a lot and they tell us a lot through their behavior. So I do want to talk about ways in which parents can, you know, look into whether they're having any difficulties. But if it's okay with you, I want to talk a little bit more about why early childhood mental health is so important. Well, do, because I'm thinking, when I'm thinking early childhood mental health, I'm thinking, oh, I'm what, eight, nine, ten, that's young. Exactly. You're, no, we're talking about newborns yeah, and well, babies and toddlers and preschoolers. Well, then talk more about that. Absolutely. It's really important that all the adults in children's lives, so parents, grandparents, teachers, all understand 
that just like a baby's or a child's body grows and develops, their brain is growing and developing right from the beginning. And it's affected by the relationships and the experiences that they have. The first five years is a really critical window to promote strong mental health and identify emotional or behavioral problems that if left untreated can lead to really um, other negative impacts. And another thing, just like adults, children can be affected by stress. So it's something we don't think about often, but it's a really important concept. So even when we think that young children either aren't hearing us or they're not listening to us, children are very tuned in to the adults around them and they pick up on the stress that's going, that's going on. And when it's too much for them to understand or process, and when there's no adult available to them to help them feel safe and secure, that child can get overwhelmed and exhibit behaviors related to that stress. That's such a good point. I mean, even how many times have you heard your child say something and you go, where did they hear that? Well, what do you think they yes, heard? Yes, indeed, they're hearing it from you. And the more that adults understand this, the more that they can provide positive interactions that strengthen the developing child's brain and body. And we like to use a metaphor. We like to use the metaphor of building a house when we talk about young children's social emotional development. So I'm not a contractor, but you can think about all the steps that go into building a house. So there's laying the foundation and there's framing the walls and putting in putting in the electrical and the plumbing. Great visual. Yep. So you can think about that. And all that happens in a particular sequence, right? We have to get that in order. We have to get it done correctly. So laying a strong foundation is at the heart of having um, a strong house. And for children, that strong foundation is the secure and loving relationships that they have with the adults in their life. And that leads to health and well-being and learning and all the good stuff that we want. It sets the scene for the rest of their life is what you're saying. It absolutely does. And a a strong foundation can do that. And conversely, a poor foundation, so one that's affected by negative experiences or unstable relationships, can lead to challenges for that young child. Wow, that's a lot of pressure on moms and dads, isn't it? It's pressure, but it's also opportunity. You know, it's a really amazing time period, and parents are the ones that absolutely know their children best and can really form these strong relationships just by naturally being with them and providing that security. But as you said earlier, though, it takes more than just mom and dad. They need to be surrounded by that positive feeling from a lot of people. Yep, and everybody plays a role in helping a young kid get a good start. So that's grandparents and relatives and teachers. You know, I'm a grandparent, seven grandkids, and it's so different being that as opposed to a mom and dad and raising the four kids that we had to raise. I felt a lot more pressure there Mm -hmm. with the kids than Mm -hmm. the grandkids. But yet I feel it is important for my wife and I to be involved in doing just what you say, positive reinforcement. Because sometimes you hear moms and dads are going through a lot of different stress and they'll say something. And if we pick up on it, we Mm kind of try to turn that a little bit. Oh, what mom meant was... And I don't know if that's effective. Is that effective? It's absolutely effective. As you said, kids need to be surrounded by loving, secure relationships. And they have different relationships with different people. So you're grandpa and you have probably a very central role with the seven grandchildren that you have. That's, it is. I'm the official car picker-upper. Car picker-upper. <laughs> that's an important role. Got, we all need a car well, picker-upper. It's good to have a title. I'm telling you. 
We're talking with Jordana Ash, Early Childhood Mental Health Director, Colorado Department of Human Services Office of Early Childhood. So what are some of the common concerns, uh, Jordana, you have with young children's mental health? You know, you began to talk about this a little bit. Children communicate through their behavior. It's really important to think about that for a moment. So what we want to do is we want to look at that behavior and say to ourselves, what is that behavior telling us? Even when we don't like that behavior, right? The child's being naughty or the child's um, exhibiting something that is um, annoying us, frankly, or is confusing us. It's really important that the adults around that child ask ourselves, what is that behavior telling us? When children are very young, early mental health problems present themselves as difficulty managing their emotions or expressing their emotions. And sometimes it's a lack of a strong bond or relationship with a a caregiver. It's important to look at that. And then other common concerns for children um, are when they don't seem to be able to make friends. We begin to worry about that because friendship is a really, really important piece of growing up for young children. And sometimes we see children who don't seem to learn from the learning environments that we give them, either the the activities we're doing at home or the activities we do in school. And I have to say, as we're talking about Children's Mental Health Week and recognizing this, that for some children in our midst, they're exposed to many stressors, perhaps many traumas. And there may be violence in the home, there may be drug use by the adults in the home, or a parent themselves is is depressed. And so those experiences may set up a child to have mental health problems or challenges later in life. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, Obviously, the surroundings you're mentioning is important. Is there a genetic involvement? Can they be born with some kind of a mental issue? And it's not the parent's fault, but they might see something, as you've just mentioned? So I really want to emphasize that none of this is a parent's fault, that sometimes children are not able to cope with the experiences that they have and the adults around them have their own problems and are not available to that child to help them. But um, what we know now is that it's not either nature or nurture, that it's really a combination of the kinds of things that happen in a child's life. Those, um, You can think about it as a scale and you can think about the negative experiences or the positive experiences and the negative experiences can tip, you know, can um, compound and grow too much for a child. But the most amazing thing that we're finding out from science and just from talking to parents is that having a strong relationship with one adult in a child's life, one person that believes in them, seems to be the factor that buffers young children against the harmful effects of those negative experiences. Wow, that's quite a statement. So one positive can erase a lot of negatives. It really makes a difference. And that positive can be grandpa, It can be a teacher or a coach. It's that one person that believes in that child and says, I know you're going to make it. Oh, that's a great statement and something for us all to think about, too, because you worry so much about the negative. One positive can erase the negatives. Think about that, you guys, with your uh, parents. Now, what can parents do to support their their child's mental health? What, What can we do as parents? So I have to say and really emphasize that parents are the ones that know their child best. Well, they should, right? They certainly should, (laughs) and I think they don't get credit all the time for really being the ones tuned in to what their kids need and what their child is capable of. So the parent also knows 
what's going on in the family? Are there stresses in the family that the outside world doesn't know about? Maybe a job change. Maybe there was a loss of a pet, and that's really affecting oh, the good young point. child. Good point. And so the parent knows best. Um, parents can look for changes that are persistent. You know, we all have little bumps in the road where we might be stressed out or the child might throw temper tantrums just, you know, a little bit. And that's okay. That's normal development. But when these behaviors are persistent or they don't make sense to the parent, the parent can look for what we call regression or the loss of a skill that a child once had and no longer does. For example, a child who went through a stressful event like a, a car accident or the illness of a family member, sure. maybe that child was a really good talker before and is no longer speaking. That's going to raise a red flag for that parent to say, I, I need to look into this a little bit more. Or a child who seems to be withdrawing and not taking pleasure in the routines of the family life, like playing with grandparents or going to a park and, and really enjoying themselves. Parents can look for these changes and then they can look at the growth and development that they would expect. And if they see something, they really should say something because all of their concerns are valid. I would think it's extremely hard to be observant of that because as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, part of growing and part of life is not all good. It's just life. You're and, right. And there's some lessons there to learn. But if you're so worried about that, and does that change the parents' attitude towards the kids that they have to sugarcoat everything? You know, we want the right balance. As we talked about the definition of early childhood mental health at the top of the show, we talked about uh, kids being able to be curious and learn. So certainly they need to make mistakes, right? When you think about a young child starting to learn to walk, for example, that child falls down and, and bumps his or her head sure. and experiences what that's like. And that's how they grow and develop in the security of that attachment relationship. But you're right. They need to be able to stretch a little bit and not have parents um, be so worried that they don't let kids explore. But parents do provide that safe base for children to come back to. And always come back to the safe base. Should parents sit down and maybe when something bad's going on, explain, have ex take more time to explain to their children, I guess, depending on the age of the child, as to what's going on, here's why it's so bad, and you know, this is kind of part of life, as I just mentioned, and maybe this is how we should look at it together, something like that? I think you might have a mental health background. You're really <laughs> onto something here. So, um, you know, there are so many things that parents can do, and that's really the wonderful thing about this special period in young children's life is that a child's mental health and well-being is built through stable and loving relationships with caring adults. And we like to call that serve and return. So our ESPN friends are going to think about a tennis game, for example. Sure. The serve and return, the back and forth interactions that parents have with children shapes the developing brain. And it's all that stuff that parents and grandparents just do naturally. So they smile and look at the child and the child looks back and smiles and, and engages and giggles and moves their arms and legs even before they have words. So it's really great to see adults interact with children like this and, and importantly pay attention when kids need a break and when they right. give us the signals that, okay, that's a little much and I, I'm a little overwhelmed now. It's super important to show children how we calm down 
when things are stressful for us, oh, just like you yeah. were talking about and talking to kids. Once again, leading by example. Exactly. And and we want to talk to children about the steps that we're taking so that we don't get too stressed out. So we encourage parents to label the feelings that they're having, the positive feelings and what we might call the negative feelings, like I'm disappointed I didn't get that raise at work or I'm um, worried that I'm not going to have enough money to fix the car, but here's how I'm going to um, solve that problem. Help them, the children, identify their feelings and figure out together what to do next. If parents are worried, like over-worried or depressed or anxious, we really encourage parents to get some help too because how parents do and how, I mean, excuse me, how little kids do is really dependent on how well their parents are doing. Well, it's a total reflection, isn't it? It's a real reflection. I mean, you're living there every day with these people and kids are looking for some direction at whatever age. And if they're seeing their parents struggle, they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle, especially kids fill in the blanks. So they tell they tell themselves a story when they see their parent stressed out or worried. So it is important to tell children um, at the age appropriate level what's going on, but really to emphasize that the parent is handling this, that the parent's own um, emotional state is calm right. and relaxed and in a problem-solving mode. It's a challenge. Maybe, uh, Jordana, you can issue uh, or talk more about what the role caregivers mm-hmm. might have in that development mm-hmm. of child's mental development. I'm talking like preschool teachers or regular grade school teachers or their Sunday school teacher what role do we have? You know, we all can play an essential part in helping children's mental health get off to a good start. Many parents like to get information from um, child care providers, teachers, doctors, which is awesome. We really like that. And folks like this can help parents understand that mental health is a critical part of overall health and well-being and that it's okay to talk about worries and concerns That helps reduce the stigma that sometimes is associated with mental health. So instead of seeing a child's challenge in behavior as simply disruptive or that labeling the child as a problem, you know, you talked about school teachers, Sunday school teachers, or neighbors, or people you see in the grocery store, sometimes they're actually adding to the problem because they're labeling the child and um, the parent feels badly that their child is exhibiting challenging behaviors. So all of those kinds of helping people can really think about this as a learning experience for the child and the parent. Let's get away from those labels and let's go back to trying to understand what this behavior is telling us. So the teachers would probably see the kids more just right behind the parents, I guess, should they be asking questions? If they detect something, do they talk to the parents first or do they reach out to the child and say, hey, what's bothering you? What You seem different the last couple of weeks. Is that a wise thing to do? I mean, teachers are busy, but they care. Teachers are busy and they care and they know their child in a way that um, is really important because they also see a child during routine activities. Exactly. So they're right there tuning in. I always think that the relationship between that teacher and the parent is critical. If a child feels like everyone's on the same page and that we're all in this together, that child feels extra supported. I think it's a good thing. It's absolutely a good thing.
And, and how does this need of children with their mental health, how does it change with their age? I mean, it's got to get different. It's not the same as when they're one and now they're 12. Exactly. However, there are some basics that children at of any age, I would say, even that 12-year-old, need a caring adult to help them through the hard stuff. Someone who's just crazy about them. And positive relationships between the child and parent is really crucial at any age. But that said, there are some differences. So very young children, and I'm thinking up through the age of three or four, Mm -hmm. the help is really through the parent. It's really we help the parent to help the child. Now, sometimes a parent and a child can be seen together by a trained mental health professional, and they can work on their attachment relationship. So they're more in tune with each other, and the parent understands better how to help the child manage their emotions or express their emotions. But the help, as I said, at that age is really directed to that parent or caregiver. Sure. Now, when you get a little bit older, of course, kids are more able to express their feelings and they can form important relationships with a teacher or a counselor, let's say, because they have the words to describe what's going on for them. And certainly older children, those children, I would say, over the age of eight and into the middle school or high school years, oftentimes really benefit from um, being together with groups of children who are also experiencing some things that they are. For example, if their parents are separating or going through a divorce, sometimes it's helpful for children of that age to work with peers and a trained person to, to help them see that they're not alone and that others experience the same kind of issue. What I would say, though, and just really emphasize is that you can't go wrong going back to the basics, and that's supporting strong relationships with the parents, understanding that behavior has meaning, and helping a child have skills to get through difficult experiences. Ah, They're going to happen. Two things I was thinking of, I have a 13-year-old granddaughter, and they're at that age, girls, but she's had some things happen in her life, and and her peer group, there's a couple of had the same. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know they talk about it. Is that healthy for the kids to talk amongst themselves without a trained professional or a parent around? Does that help air some things out? Does they understand more? So kids are going to talk together and their peer groups are critically important. Yeah. What's really important also, though, is that that young adolescent has somewhere to check out these ideas because sometimes their friends may not have the best advice for them. Peer relationships are critically important at that developmental stage, but it's also really important to have a trusted adult to go to. And sometimes that's not the parent at the moment. Good point. So that's why high school teachers, middle school teachers are so critically important as are grandparents or other relatives that that kid can go to and check out what they're hearing from their peers. I like that. Well, Moving right along here. So I guess I want to get to the point. If you sense a problem with your child's mental capabilities, where do we go for help? I mean, what would you suggest? Certainly parents can go to their own trusted relative or friend if they're worried about a child's mental health. Remember, though, that we're learning more and more every day about children's brain development and their mental health. So friends and relatives might not have the most up-to-date information, and that's why we recommend going to a family doctor. 
A doctor will have that up-to-date information on the brain science and will know what kinds of services are most helpful for what kinds of problems. Some doctor's offices even have a mental health specialist right there in the office. So at the Office of Early Childhood, we have a website that has lots of information about where to go to get additional screenings and additional services. Can I give you that website? Do tell. Okay. So this is all spelled out, earlylearningco.org. Say it again. Earlylearningco.org. Pretty easy. It's pretty easy. We made it that way. Well, for people like me, (laughs) the easier the better. I know we were mentioning that uh, May 10th is Children's Mental Health Awareness Day, but you were mentioning uh, earlier that there's something on May 8th that's going on in the Capitol. Can we talk about that? Absolutely. There's a fantastic event going on with a number of sponsors, including the Zero to Three organization, which is a national organization focused on helping parents and professionals with young children. It's called Strolling Thunder, which is just an amazing label. And we're encouraging parents with little kids, even those kids in strollers who are sometimes not welcome in places, to come on down to the Capitol. And there's going to be an amazing event with speakers and attention to um, families' needs around childcare and family-friendly workplace and supporting families with young children on all kinds of levels. So come on down and join us for a fantastic day at the Capitol. Plus, the Capitol is a great place to be. It's a such a neat place just to see our state capitol building. Is there a cost involved with this or you just show up? Or You just show up and there will be lots of activities and um, I think there's going to be music and activities for kids. But it's all around this idea that we all play a role in helping our kids get a good start. Is there more information on this event on the 8th on your website? Yes, yeah. there is. And give us that website again. People are slow to remember. Yep. So... That's a different website, um, and I'm going to give you that one, too, okay. because these, this is also um, one of our very proud websites from the Office of Early Childhood. Great. So you won't be surprised that this website is coloradooofficeofearlychildhood.com. Well, that's pretty easy to remember. Yes. Yeah. And there's information about Strolling Thunder. There's information about what goes on at our office and ways to connect parents with services that they need. Well, Jordana, good job here. Is there any final closing thoughts you'd like to leave with parents now that, for me, and I'm through all of that, but boy, if I was a young parent, based on what you just said, I might have some real concerns. You know, there there's reason to pay attention, but there's also reason to be incredibly hopeful and optimistic. Parents do are doing a great job. And the one thing I think I would just reiterate, which I mentioned earlier before, is that Every adult listening right now has the opportunity to be that special person for that kid. And we never know the difference it's going to make until they grow up. But you hear so often from kids who have, or adults who have overcome adversity that they had somebody that believed in them. So go out there and be that special person to a young child in your life. It'll make all the difference. So even for a person like me that's kind of raised their children and grandchildren, you can still be that person. You don't ever outgrow that possible position in a child's life. You have a chance every day to wake up and be that special person. And to parents out there, any final words of advice about what we should be doing? Be more observant about something that they may not even be thinking about right now. 
you know, parents, it's important to believe that early childhood mental health and social emotional development is important for everything that you want for your child to succeed in school, to have positive relationships, to be a contributing member. And you have just an amazing opportunity with your attention and your loving, secure relationship to get your kid off to a good start. And don't feel guilty because, you know, parents live, I think, with guilt. Most parents do. And so what we've been telling them today hopefully doesn't make that guilt feeling go up a little more going, gosh, if I've been doing the right thing at home, what am I doing? You know, no guilt. This is a no guilt zone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure it is. <laughs> from, from our perspective, you know, there's no reason to feel guilty because your kids really, really want to have a relationship with you. They look to you and you have a lot to offer. And there's going to be mistakes made. I mean, people need to realize it's not a perfect road. It's not a perfect road, but kids are resilient and kids strive towards health. And if we can keep that on our front of our minds, we're all going to get there together. And I was thinking here, at least when I was raising my children, a hug went a long way. And I would think that would definitely affect the mental health of children. Things might be a little rough, but if you can just give them that hug and say, hey, things will be okay. Doesn't that go a long way? It goes a long way for the child and for the parent. It did for me, I'll tell you that. I was not the perfect dad, I'm sure. Well, hugs go a long way, and um, communicating to your kid that you're in this with them, that goes a long way, too. This is great stuff. And uh, Jordana Dash is the Early Early Childhood Mental Health Director, Colorado Department of Human Resources. Your tax dollars, right, at work doing good stuff. This is really good stuff, Jordana. And once again, if you could help us out and maybe uh, give us those websites one more time, because people might kind of be thinking about reaching out for help, let's let's share that again. If you're interested in finding out what services are available to you, if right. you have concerns, if you have questions, go to earlylearningco.org. To hear about the many programs that the Colorado Office of Early Childhood has and the things that we're doing and the work that we're accomplishing every day, go to coloradoofficeofearlychildhood.com. Good job. Jordana Ash, thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having us. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan. The most important piece of legislation affecting seniors introduced at the Capitol this session was the renewal of the Colorado Homestead Exemption. In summary, the law has allowed a 50% reduction in property taxes on the first $200,000 of the property's value for persons aged 65-plus residing in a home longer than 10 years. First enacted in 2000, the law has been an economic blessing for seniors on fixed income. Greetings again, I'm Adam Morgan. With a significant number of boomers moving into retirement, the state expects them to avail themselves of the tax credit. The impact of the Colorado budget is expected to be significant, so this year an evaluation or re-evaluation of the homestead exemption was afoot. Sharing an update on this law and other pertinent legislation for seniors, along with insight to the forthcoming event, Salute to Creative Aging for Seniors, with us again is the Executive Director of the Colorado Gerontological Society, Ms. Eileen Doherty. Actually, the Food and Drug Administration does have a rule that says that it is illegal to import drugs from other countries. 
And there's a whole big effort going on right now that's actually pretty scary. I just heard a presentation about a week ago that some of the fentanyl that is coming into the country and is being sort of distributed in the States is coming in through Canada. And many of the drugs, because, again, they are not regulated in Canada, they're not regulated in the United States, but they're coming in from other countries through a Canadian purchasing system, are not, they do not, not only not meet federal drug administration requirements, but many of them are, don't have anything in them, but, you know, just junk, sugar, yeah. Yeah. So um, there's several lawsuits out there now that are starting to, uh, that are pending, one specifically from a cancer victim who thought that she was getting a lower cancer drug, and it turned out to be um, a drug that didn't have any cancer properties in it that she needed. And so it's a big, it's a really big issue at this point in time. And I would discourage people from looking at trying to find cheaper drugs through the Canadian system. I would actually encourage people to try to find cheaper drugs um, through some of the accepted prescription drug assistance programs, or looking at other alternatives. And if people want information, they can certainly call our office and we can try to walk you through it. That's something called the Senior Housing Security Act of 2018, I guess the homestead. The homestead uh, that we've heard off and on in the news, it's going to pass, they're going to do something, not do something. Where does that stand now that you know of? The um, Senior Property Homestead Exemption Program has actually, that bill has been not introduced. Um, the legislator that was most interested in working on that issue has decided that the alternative, which he was proposing some type of an income tax credit on your state income tax to replace the homestead exemption um, that you received through the county on your property if you were a homeowner, that the um, he still hasn't been able to come up with a plan that really satisfies homeowners um, who see themselves as really benefiting from the homestead exemption. And the um, seniors who might be beneficiaries of losing the homestead exemption and gaining some type of an income tax credit, he hasn't been able to really work out all of the details. So that is not going to be introduced um, over the in this next two weeks. Um, there is and will continue to be work done on that over the summer. Do you think anything really needs to do be done with that? Is it going to cost the state that much more, I guess, as boomers in their houses? They've been in them for 10 years or longer. Cost the state a lot more money. Is that why they're trying to modify this now? Well, yes. One of the um, things is that this year there was approximately $150 million put aside for this project um, in homestead exemption for people 65 and over who have lived in their home for 10 years or more. Now, that exemption is basically money that the state pays to the counties because you apply for the homestead exemption through your county taxing agency. And so what this particular 
proposal is looking at is funding that homestead exemption program down to zero and then looking at an alternative way to provide cash income to um, older adults, but they really couldn't figure out how to make that work. There's also a lot of concern among both some senior advocates as well as many, many seniors themselves that the loss of this homestead exemption, which basically gives them a 50% give or take discount on the amount of property taxes that they pay is really seen as, at this moment at least, more beneficial. So the legislators that have been working on this issue for the last couple of years have agreed that they will spend some more time looking at this issue and trying to determine if there's a better way, a cheaper way for the state to actually Um, administer and or provide some relief to seniors. They're also looking at doing some means testing, which means people under a certain income level adjusted gross would not be eligible for the cash benefit. So there's just a lot of stuff yet that has not really been well um, researched, well tested. And the other thing is that seniors are really comfortable with the homestead exemption. You get your tax bill and it says we took $550 off of your taxes and you know your tax bill was $1,200 and you go, that's really great because it's a tangible benefit where you have to come up with less money when you pay your taxes. Yeah, and when so you're on seniors, a fixed income. Yeah, seniors really like that. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot more work to be done to see if it even makes any sense to do that. So you think it'll come back again next year then? I do. Okay. What things did the legislature kill or not pass that you would like to see them uh, reintroduce and perhaps get it done or pass next year that could benefit seniors? Well, I think one thing that did not pass was in the legislature, um, the Department of Healthcare Financing and Policy asked for additional funding for dental services for low-income seniors. So currently they put about $3 million into that program. There was a request for an additional million dollars because of the large waiting lists for dental services for those people who are not eligible through Medicaid. And that was not approved. So that's one thing. I think there's some room for the advanced care planning registry and having some kind of a central system where emergency medical services personnel and others could actually access information so that if they would have better information if somebody did not want CPR or if they did not want to be put on a ventilator or some of those kinds of things that they would have better information in delivering emergency services. So that one also did not pass. Those are probably two kind of big ones for seniors. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you mentioned to me that there were some additional funds uh, put into the thing they call the Long Bill, and that's just because it's long. It wasn't introduced (laughs) by some some guy named Long. But for the uh, Strategic Action Planning Group for Aging, I guess to help keep that group going because they are looking at reshaping a new future for aging Coloradans then. 
Yes, they got um, not a lot of money, but um, they did get $55,000, and that um, should at least give them the ability to continue their plan through for the next fiscal year and make their reports to the legislature. And perhaps some of the things that they are purporting to do will turn into future legislation that's going to help make aging a better process here in the state. Is that the idea? That is the idea. The other thing that they have actually organized, which I think is really exciting, is that they have organized a caucus on aging and they they featured three or four um, caucuses in which aging issues were the primary discussion. And they have been sponsored by four legislators, two Republicans and two Democrats. So they have bipartisan support for that. Yeah. And again, I think those are only beneficial because, again, I think as they increase in their um, reputation and their stature, as legislators look to bring forth legislation that affects seniors, then hopefully that can be reviewed and um, supported and or not supported, depending on the, the bill, um, by the Caucus on Aging. And hopefully that will also improve sort of the public policy related to aging in Colorado. Sure. For the last, what, 20, 25 years, the Colorado Gerontological <laughs> Society has been producing a uh, an expo in May, an expo event in May that was called Salute to Seniors, and now it's called Creative Aging. Why'd you change the title? The baby boomers. <laughs> Blame it on us. Blame it on us. <laughs> I'm one of them as well. Um, now, it just seemed like the, salute, the idea for uh, Salute to Creative Aging was more inclusive, mm-hmm. and it could include individuals of all ages, but not just um, seniors, but could also include baby boomers, include people, you know, kind of in the middle ages. And so it's meant to be more um, of a robust event. With the title Creative Aging, one person would say, oh, we're going to be doing a lot of painting and drawing as we age. And somebody else <laughs> may say, yeah, maybe we're looking at different ways of approaching aging in America that's more creative, that's more maybe not so much age-based as it is on abilities and other things you can do. Is that also a, could be captured up under the name or up under the theme? It could be captured under that. And this year, we're actually trying to promote more of that with a theme called the Tech Trek. Ah. Um, and so it's So not, how to deal with Facebook for seniors, is that it? Well, you could. that could be part of it. Maybe somebody <laughs> will do that. Um, but we're also looking at you know, technology as um, such things as there'll be an electric car there. We have a number of displays that are looking at prosthetic devices, mm-hmm. 3D printing. We're looking at, you know, obviously the easy stuff around computers, cell phones. We're also looking at medical devices yeah, yeah. Um, and how those can provide or improve your life, um, looking at things like you can get notified with security systems and blood pressure monitoring. And so mm. just a whole variety of technology type of stuff. Oh, that's know? really future forward. I hope it is. 
there'll be some obviously Star Trek kinds of folks there. We're going to have somebody ex- uh, displaying drones um, and how drones are becoming more and more part of um, the sort of 21st century, if you will. Um, so there'll be a lot of just fun technology stuff in addition to the standard stuff that we usually um, showcase around housing and home care and mm-hmm. other services for seniors. And you're also going to have some fun going on with the um, the Jerseys, a musical tribute to uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. Yes, they will be um, appearing. They will appear at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So they're the finale. Um, so we invite you to come early and stay late. The Jerseys, for those of you who do not know them by name, sing songs like Sherry, um, Walk Like a Man. Big Girls Don't Cry. Big Girls Don't Cry. Just a whole lot of, <laughs> oh, the, yeah. kind we of know standard, the catalog. Yeah. The standard favorites. In addition to the Tech Trek, though, you have a resource fair. So people who need information about where to get help and assistance from anywhere from working on your house to where to find a better doctor, that kind of stuff is all going to be there as well. Oh, Yes. Ms. Eileen Doherty, Executive Director of the Colorado Gerontological Society, has been our guest again on this edition for Older Americans Month. Again, make a note that the GCS event Salute to Creative Aging is Saturday, May 12th, 9 to 3 p.m. at the Colorado Convention Center. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay in your game. And we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Melissa Moore. Hi, it's Melissa Moore. Thank you for joining me for Mile High Magazine. Great to have you here on this Sunday morning. And joining us this morning is Brian Patrick Leatherman. He is the artistic director and conductor of the Cherry Creek Chorale, but also... The 5280-plus Encore Chorales. Fantastic. Well, thank you for being here. My pleasure. So for people who maybe aren't familiar, even though you're going into your 38th season, tell us a little bit about what is uh, the Cherry Creek Chorale. The Cherry Creek Chorale is one of Denver's largest and oldest community choirs. We are an auditioned group. We currently have a membership of approximately 130 singers from all walks of life. We do have some professional musicians, but we've got a geophysicist. We've got a former member of the uh uh, ambassador corps we've got a lot of doctors and uh, just a number of occupations lawyers so cool how did the cherry creek corral come about the cherry creek corral began 38 years ago by uh, it was started by some parents of students i believe at overland high school okay and um, they just their kids were involved in choir and they wanted to start something hmm. And then um, gradually that, uh, let's see, I forget who directed the first year, then a guy named Tom Miyake, who was the director at uh, Cherry Creek High School, took it over for a few years. Then Richard Larson had it for a number of years. He was at Cherry Creek High School. Yep. But I've had it the longest. I've had it, this is my 23rd season. That is incredible. Congratulations. That's a nice long run. And we've doubled in size since I took over the group and... uh, uh, it's it's just been a very exciting and fulfilling 
uh, you know, side career for uh-huh. me. Now it is my main career. I okay. taught music for 30 years. Good for you. But I uh, retired from public education in 2014. Well, I love our teachers and thank you for doing that and giving back. And I love the fact that kids just love their music programs. And I'm sure that was part of it. You know, parents at Overland seeing how much their kids loved choir and wanting to keep something going, going for themselves as well. Yes, yes. In fact, we we lost our last charter member just a couple of years ago. Aww. He finally retired from the group. Okay, to. okay. And you are a 501c3. Yes, I would say I can't think of any choir in town who isn't. Mm. Uh, we're not for profit. The members pay dues. Okay. We also uh, seek support from... Well, the SCFD is incredibly important to us. Uh, Colorado Creative Industries, mm-hmm. we seek support from uh, individuals and businesses. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we we certainly sell tickets. Right. The Cherry Creek Corral sells tickets sure, sure. To, uh, to help pay the bills. Right. Um, a lot of donations, a lot of yeah. uh, individual and corporate corporate donations. Well, obviously 38 years, it's got to be a big hit with the community as well. We like to think so. (laughs) I think, I think we all know so. And our audience has been growing very steadily. That is wonderful. We're one of the few that put on two concerts. Whenever we do a concert, we always do a Friday night and a Saturday night. Oh, you do. Okay. uh, And uh, we've had just very, very good results. That is fantastic. So tell me a little bit about, we talked about, you know, the different professions of people that sing in the uh, Cherry Creek Chorale. But how do these people, because you said it's an audition base. Cherry Creek Chorale is auditioned. Okay. And we'll get, because I know you also have some encore groups that are not auditioned. That's correct. Okay. So, but for the Cherry Creek Chorale, and I know you've got a big performance here coming up here soon. Um... How do members find out about it? How do they audition? What is that process like? Well, it certainly helps that organizations like you help give us some airtime. I would say most people find us through the internet. Okay. And they find our website, www.cherrycreekchorral, C-H-O-R-A-L-E.org. Um, but if you just uh, Google that and you find our website mm-hmm. and there's a join us page on there, people go there, find out about our audition process, submit an application to be considered for an audition. Mm-hmm. And um, and if we feel like this is a person that would be a good match because of their skill levels and their previous experience, we go ahead and schedule the audition and see how it goes. Okay, okay. So it's not like there's an open audition time or anything like It's not like American Idol. People no, are not, not standing there waiting to get no, in. No, and- it's, it's me and them. Okay. Wow. So you're the deciding factor. For about 15, you know, about a 15 minute interview and, and, uh, and audition. So you are like Simon Cowell. (laughs) Yes, but I'm, I'm a lot friendlier than he is. (laughs) But you make the big decisions. Yep. It's my decision. Okay. And what are some of the qualities you're looking for? We're looking for people with choral experience. We're Mm -hmm. looking for people who have a, a good choral voice. A good solo voice may or may not work well in a choral setting. Hmm. Um, they have to have the ability to, uh, to as Mr. Shaw, my great mentor, Robert Shaw, used to say, to be, they have to be able to keep their voice within the sleeve of the sound. So that they, you know, we, we use this term too much and it's, it's rather abused, but it's blend. Okay. They've got to be able to blend and contribute to the overall choral sound. Ideally, we'd like people who are music readers, but we have accepted people who don't necessarily read music all that well, but have a good ear and can pick up things quickly. 
Sounds and, fun. Well, it we have a great time. We have a great time. We wouldn't have so many people doing it. Right. And um, we wouldn't have so many people coming if we weren't having a good time. I was going to say, and I've heard your performances are incredible just from an audience standpoint. Thank you very much. We do a wide variety of music. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw Everything that. from the classics to popular music. Next year, we're going to do everything from Disney to uh, a, rehears- a complete uh, concert with orchestra. Oh, that's fantastic. Including uh, the Rudder Requiem and the Vivaldi Gloria. Wow. What is your big show that you have coming up? This Coming, not this coming weekend, but the mm-hmm. weekend thereafter, on uh, May 11th and okay. 12th, we're doing a concert we have entitled Songs Our Mothers and Others Taught Us. Wonderful. It started with the song, the kind of the genesis was a song by Antonin Dvorak called Songs My Mother Taught Me. Mm-hmm. But the basic premise is we went to the chorale and said, okay, pick some music that you like a piece of music that is important to you, but more importantly, that was taught to you or you first experienced it with a very important person in your life. Oh, okay. For instance, in my case, I chose two pieces that I learned from my high school choir director, William Funky, up in Fort Collins. Okay. He's the reason I do what I do, even though I've had many fine music instructors. Mm -hmm. He's really the reason I do what I do. And... um, People chose songs that their mother taught them while they were doing the dishes. Um, uh, one gentleman tells a very touching story. Uh, when he was a young boy, his he was having um, night terrors because of the Cuban Missile Crisis, and he was a very young boy. Mm-hmm. But he was old enough to know about this, and uh, he was absolutely inconsolable when he would wake up from these nightmares. And finally, one night, his dad, who had a very lovely baritone voice, he was also a professional actor, um, started singing Shenandoah. Just didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. Started singing Shenandoah, and that calmed him down. Another woman uh, remembers being on every Jeep trail up in the mountains with her parents, who were semi-professional photographers. And she, so she loved the mountains. She loved music, and she remembers seeing uh, the sound of music when it first opened. Oh, how cool! So we're doing climb every mountain. And, yeah, and, and so on and so forth. A lot of very familiar tunes. The Impossible Dream. We've got a lot of sing-alongs for mm-hmm. the audience Fun. that uh, they'll know. And um, it's just a very uh, user-friendly and enjoyable, but a heartwarming concert. Mm-hmm. And we have videoed all of these stories. Okay. And during the course of the program, we will show these videos with these people telling about these important stories. Wonderful. In their musical life. Oh, that's going to be really neat. And that is Mother's Day weekend. It's called Songs Our Mothers and Others Taught Us. And if you're just joining me, I'm talking to Brian Patrick Leatherman. He is the artistic director and conductor of the Cherry Creek Chorale. We're talking about their big concert coming up. Uh, Where's that concert going to be held? Bethany Lutheran Church, which is 4500 East Hamden Avenue. Um, Hamden and Dahlia, basically. Okay. Right, right next to the Happy Canyon Shopping Center. Yep. I think a lot of us know right where that is. And how much are tickets? It varies uh, anywhere from $20 for adults, 16 for seniors, and then down from there. And can they buy their tickets online? They can buy their tickets online at the website, www.cherrycreekcorral.org. Okay. Or at the door. And let's talk about something else that um, the Cherry Creek Corral has going on. And, and you'll have to help me understand this. The encore groups that you have, are they part of the Cherry Creek Corral? It is, it is a separate entity. Okay. Um, the summer before I retired, I um, was doing a group. Um, I was asked by a former con- conductor of mine, my, my, the guy I did my master's degree with up at CSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had been conducting a choir 
that was associated with the Rhodes Scholar mm. program. Okay. He it was ready for him to retire. He was ready to retire. And so he asked me if I'd be interested, and I was. And my uh, partner in crime, Cindy Runkle, who is my principal accompanist with both of these groups, she is also the executive director of both of these groups. Mm-hmm. We had a ball. And just as we parted ways to come home, I said, you know, I'm retiring in the spring of 2014. We should look into doing something like mm-hmm. this. One of the people in that choir was from the Washington, Baltimore area. And Cindy happened to stay in touch with her, mentioned what we were thinking about. And she said, you have got to get in touch with Gene Kelly, not the dancer, Gene <laughs> Kelly. That'd be um, a long phone call. Gene Kelly uh, started the Encore Creativity Group about, well, now I think it's going on 11, might be 12 years, but has had huge success. She has over 1,200 singers just in the in the Beltway. But then she started branching out. There are affiliates like us uh-huh. in uh, California, in Utah, in Ohio, in uh, there is a thriving one in Chicago. We are her favorites, though. Well, of course. In fact, we just had her out for a visit, and she's just thrilled with what we're doing. We started in the fall of 2015 in Highlands Ranch with the Highlands Ranch Encore Corral. And thank you to the HRCAA, the Highlands Ranch Cultural Affairs Association, and Jamie Noble, Mm -hmm. uh, before we even got the sentence finished, she said, what do you need? Where do you want to do it? When do you want to start? And we started with um, 60 people. Four rehearsals later, we had 75. And um, one of them was actually a resident of Littleton. She went to Nikki Krause and said, could we have one here? Nikki came and heard us sing. She was thrilled and said, we, we've got to have one. So, so we now started, Littleton has one. <laughs> we started one in Littleton with 32 right. singers that spring. Now Littleton has 92 oh, and Highlands Ranch has 88. So we have That's 180 huge. members now. That's huge. Yeah. And 160 of them will be singing May the 6th. And this is a free concert. It's okay. open to the public. It's at 3 o'clock. It's at St. Andrew United Methodist, just south. I don't know the exact address. It's just south of of, of university of C470. <laughs> and we have filled it for Fantastic. ever since we started doing concerts there we, we have had standing room only so that's this afternoon yes okay at what time 3 p.m okay but the doors open at 2 30 and i recommend you be there then really okay and tell me a little bit because we're talking about the encore groups in highlands ranch and littleton because you were telling me off the air that these singers are they over 55 is that what makes 50, the encore group 55 or better okay but Unlike Cherry Creek, there is no audition. If Perfect. you want to sing, come. Okay. And, I could do that then. Um, <laughs> not and, old enough yet, but. <laughs> you're not old enough. Uh, <laughs> but and, if and, I cannot. And you can't fake it either. But, oh, uh, dang it. <laughs> How did you know I couldn't sing? <laughs> uh, no, I'm saying you couldn't fake it age-wise. Oh, There's well, no way sweet. anybody you're would sweet. think you were that age. <laughs> um, what, what we try to do with them, I mean, there are plenty of opportunities for people to sing, a lot of mm-hmm. church choirs and things like that, but right. we, we don't. We don't want to be another church choir. So our emphasis is on show music, mm-hmm. popular music, right? Uh, folk songs, spirituals, things like that. Awesome. Awesome. This concert will feature a medley from Les Mis, which they are so excited about. I bet they are. And then just a variety of other things. Fantastic. And so for people who want more information about these encore groups, uh, is there a website? Where do they go? Yes, www.com 
5280encore.org. Which 5280, is over 50. 5280. And there was a play on words, you know, where there's our altitude. Right. But also ages 50 to 80 plus. Oh, look at that. Very We couldn't smart. put the plus in the web in the web, <laughs> web address, but 5280encore.org. Okay, fantastic. And once again, that is for 55 and over. You you don't have to audition for no. it. Um, and for the Cherry Creek Corral group, we were talking again that their big show is coming up Mother's Day weekend. Songs Our Mothers and Authors Taught Us. And you can find out more information about that at cherrycreekcorral.org. Also, if you're wanting to audition, that is where you'll find that information. If you want to donate, that is probably the spot yes. as well. And I'm sure you can always use donations. Oh, absolutely. And uh, same same with the Encore group. Okay. Uh, there's an opportunity for you to, to support us. Which is wonderful. And once again, it's a 501c3. Yep. Just a fantastic organization. We're thrilled to have you here. Great to have this going on here in Colorado, too. Thank you for your time. Well, Brian Patrick Leatherman, who is the artistic director and conductor of the Cherry Creek Corral and 5280 Encore. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. And if anybody comes, come up and say hi and... Tell me where you heard about us. Yes, we would love that. That is fantastic. All the information is online. I'm Melissa Moore. Thanks for joining me on this Sunday in Mile High Magazine. You have been listening to Mile High Magazine, a look at the issues and people shaping Colorado, presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. If you have a suggestion for a future program or a question, please send an email to publicaffairs at bonneville.com. Thanks for listening to Mile High Magazine.